Hey, Paul, we know you're watching. So much love to you guys from us. We miss you. Uh, Fuyo took your place, though. Not, not Fuyo. Uh, sorry. What's your name? <laughs> What's your name? Eko. Eko. Fuyo's wife, Eko, took your place. Thank you, Eko. And uh, Emmanuel is watching. So we'll get started, guys. Father, we thank you. We love you, Abba. We love you. We really love you. And it's a privilege for us to come together. And I thank you for your words that revive us, that uh, lift us up. So, Father, we recognize that this place and the people here, we belong to you. We belong to no one else. We belong to you. We belong to you. Father, do everything you want to do. Holy Spirit, what you started us off with, continue your work with us, in us. This place belongs to you. We belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I, I only have pink. I don't have any other color. So pink is what we go with. Also for the guys, when you get married, you'll realize that there are different shades of pink. There is, there is onion pink. I didn't know there was onion pink. There's onion pink. There is many other shades. Evan, you got to know this for. Very important. Oh, you have green. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to talk about encounter. But yeah, there are definitely many shades to pink for sure. We're going to talk about encounter. Our father, he enjoys disrupting our lives with his goodness, with his presence, with his kindness, with his laughter, with his power. He enjoys disrupting our lives. A few months ago when we started going on with this encounter topic, we started meeting, we continue to meet. The idea is that he enjoys disrupting our lives. Two years ago when J Jacob started talking about Shekinah glory, the words he used were disruptive glory. Because there is no way that God shows up and our lives will continue to be the same way. His glory his presence, the weight of his presence, his laughter, his power, his goodness, his kindness, all of those things together that we call glory, it is disruptive. It disrupts our lives. It absolutely disrupts our lives. And I want you guys today, if you've been, if you, if, if you've been going, I believe all of, is anyone here who hasn't been to the encounter meetings? Okay, just the two of you guys. Plus, Mohini, that's okay. You guys will be going in the next few days, I'm sure. So here's the thing, guys. The encounter meetings are one thing. When we gather, here is one thing, another thing. When we are at our homes, it's another thing. It doesn't matter where. His glory is to be encountered. His glory is to be desired by his people. I want to go back to what I said before. There is something that I know that the Father is doing with us. Because in heaven, the writing is Christ in us, the hope of glory. There is something that he wants to understand. In us, Christ, not in me, Christ, not in just you, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Those are the words in heaven which will echo down on earth, in our midst, with what he is going to do through us, in us, that I'm sure about. So our father, he disrupts our life. He enjoys doing it. Matthew, the tax collector, is sitting somewhere. Here comes Jesus, and Jesus says, come follow me. He's at his post. He's doing what he's supposed to do. Jesus says, come follow me. Elisha is doing something. He's plowing. Elijah comes around and he says, come, follow me. Daniel is, sorry, David is keeping his sheep or his father's sheep. There comes a call saying, come. He loves disrupting both the mundane and the interesting. Nothing stops him. And when he comes through, everything that he wants to accomplish, he will accomplish. So I want us to position our hearts like that. Father, there is something you're doing where, whereby you want to encounter. You want us to encounter your presence, your glory. We're not talking about 
meetings. Meetings happen here, Tuesdays, whenever. But we're talking about individually and collectively us encountering his glory because that's his desire for us. So on one hand, we can argue, and there will be people who argue, that the word of God is the way to encounter God, which is rightfully true. We encounter him through his word. But what I'm talking about today is not just that. What I'm talking about today is, yes, while we encounter him through his word, there is another place in him for us where we say, I want more. And it is not coming out of a deficiency of what we're reading. My goodness, but while we read the word, the word comes alive and says, I want more of him. So we are not desperately only limited to what is written, while what is written is the source of every truth. And it drives us closer and closer to him. But we are not limiting him by just what is written. Is that clear? It's, it's very important. We are, we are not saying anything else, but my goodness, the word that we've been given, it helps us. It drives us closer to this Father, closer to our Savior. Everything that is needed for life and sustenance, sustenance is in this word. But what we are talking about today is saying, we need more of you. We need your disruptive glory to come interrupt my life, our lives. So it is a lie and a deception that we can somehow think this is for a select few. It is a lie and a deception that we think somehow when we hear about stories of God encounters or revivals that it is for a select few. What I'm arguing today is that this is for all of us. This is for a people. This is for all of us and for a people. Having said that, it is very possible for us to walk through all of the days of our lives without desiring an intimate, life-altering encounter with him. It is possible for me, as a child of God, who is legs up, I want to go to heaven, because I have, I have received him, I have said the prayer, I know that he is good, I know that he is merciful, I am ready for heaven. It is possible for me and for you and for us to go through our lives, live through our days, not desiring an intimate, life-changing, life-altering encounter with the beauty of God, with the person of God. So that's what we want to avoid because we want to, at this time with what he is doing in us, we want to be readied. We want to be desiring, knowing that I could miss it, but I, want, I don't want to. I'm committed to be in this. I'm committed to follow what you're saying. I'm committed to walking with you. So... We don't want life-altering moments of divine disruption to be wasted. We want to pursue it individually and as a people. See, we have a mission, right? Um, this is Matthew 28, I believe 19. What's the mission? Three M's. What are our, our three M's that Jacob talks about? Make the Father known, make disciples, multiply churches. So that comes from Matthew 28, 19. It's just a different way of saying the same thing. I want to, we want to, as a people, we want to make the Father known. Because there is no making disciples without making him known. Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. So we want to make the Father known. We want to multiply, make disciples, and we want to multiply churches. This call is a collective call, right? This is for all of us. There is no one person in this room who is left out from this call. It is for all of us. Having said that, there are specificities to our call. In that, what Jillian is called to is very different from, could be different from what Remy is called to, could be different from what Anna is called to. So while we have this common call, which is making the Father known, making disciples, multiplying churches, there are specificities to what God is, is calling us to. And it is impossible, really, for us to walk into everything he has for us without allowing him to show his disruptive glory and for his glory to interrupt our lives. I was talking to someone, Iris, yesterday. I was saying this, this idea of 
we should not think that we can do things without meeting him in the way he wants to meet us. It is a lie that makes us believe that we can do certain things without meeting him in the way that he wants to meet with us. We've got to meet with him like he wants to meet us. Not on my terms, not in the way I want him to meet me. He wants to meet me a certain way. He wants to meet you a certain way. And so I've got to say, I want to meet with you. I want you to change my life. We this encounter word or disruptive glory that we're talking about, it has to, it will change our lives. We cannot be the same after. It will change our lives. So what I'm hoping we can do over the next few minutes is I want to talk about what are some things to keep in mind as we go down this path. What are some things to keep in mind? So I want to start from Psalm 106.20. If you can read that. Psalm 106.20. And then read Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 11. Psalm 106.20. They exchanged their glory with a capital G. I talked about this briefly last week. For an image of the bull. Jeremiah 2.11, the last part of it. But my people, God says, have changed their glory for that which does not profit. We must be, guys, we must be accounted among those who sought after his glory and did not exchange it for the image of the bull. We must be accounted in heaven as a people who sought after his presence, who sought after his glory and did not exchange it. This is a cry in heaven that there are his people who would rather exchange our glory. It's a capital G glory. His glory. Christ in us. Hope of glory. It's our glory. His glory which is meant for us to pursue and possess and inhabit. We must be accounted therefore to be a people who did not discount it. Who did not let go of it. So what's the image of the bull today in our lives? So going by Psalm 106.20. I just want to talk about two, three things and then we'll move on. But it's important to touch on this too. What's the image of the bull One of the things that we should be careful about is religion and tradition. This is one thing that Jesus attacked while on earth. Religion and tradition of men. We must be militant against this. You know one thing that religion and tradition does? It will try to box God. It will try to make him fit a pattern that we used to. It will try to domesticate the Lion of Judah. He will never be domesticated. But we can try to say, this is the mold that we are used to. This is the pattern that I've followed all my life. And you know what? It's not just my life. My dad and my dad's dad and his dad, they've all gone through the process. And this is what we're used to. And I'm not talking about just our physical parents. This is the ways of men that have come into the church, the way of being a people and what to expect. And we are saying as a people collectively that we do not want to box him. We will not even try to. That if there is any possibility for us and there is to encounter his beautiful disruptive glory, we have to be militant against religion and tradition in our lives. Has to be. Second one, image of the self. I want to read it out this way. All idolatry of self has at its core the three lusts found in 
1 John 2.16. Lust of the eyes, pride of life, lust of the flesh. We won't explain it today. We don't have time to do that. But we can do it another time perhaps. Image of the self. This is, I'm at the center of everything. Everything revolves around me. I'm at the very center of my life. And I'd like you to be living a life where I'm at the center of your lives too. My life is not enough for me. I'd like you to. Image of the self. Next. Image of Caesar. By that what I mean is going back to what Jesus said. On this coin, whose image are you seeing? Image of Caesar. In other words, the systems that we're used to. The systems that we try, sometimes ignorantly bow down to. The environment that we're used to. My identity in a job. In a system. My reliance on things of the world before I rely on him will cost me. It, it, it is a huge price to pay. And we don't want to do that. I want to write a couple more things without going into the details. Comfort can be another thing. Comfort and entertainment, let's say. May not be for all, but maybe for some. Another thing is our souls, in that there are still parts of our thinking, our mindset, that will try to say, no, this is how far God can come. This is how far he can be. I won't allow him to move past this barrier in my mind. And that's where we say, no, it's not just religion and tradition or self or Caesar or comfort or soul. Nothing can stand in his way that he has prescribed for me to encounter his beauty, his glory. So guys, I need you to just think about this over the next minute or two. Because I don't want to want run from this to the next without addressing this in our lives. And one of the ways you can do it is asking the question, where do I spend most of my time? Where do I spend my money? What derive, how do I derive joy in my life? Those are questions that will help answer this for you. Because this may be different for each of us. But those questions are very important. Where do I spend my time? Where do I spend my money? Where do I derive my joy from? Back in the day, I think it's changed. Um, Facebook had this thing when I was in school. What's on your mind? I think they've changed the whole thing. But they used to ask, what's on your mind? What's on your mind? Savior is laughing. He's, he's older than that. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, what I meant there is our, our, our corrupted thinking that limits God from doing everything he wants to do. So our, our soul is in the process of being transformed to the image of God. In the process, there can be things in our thinking our mindset that limits it. So can you take a couple of minutes, think about your life, and if we are in pursuit of his glory, I'm telling you that these questions are very important. That you shouldn't bypass them. That you should think about it, and you should pledge, because you've pledged allegiance to the Lamb, these are things that you have to drop. And so I'll let you talk with God over the next minute or two before we go further.
cool. We'll continue. So here are some things to keep in mind. And this is the main thing I want to talk about today. The other thing was mo mostly on the side in that we have to deal with it. Here are some things to keep in mind in our pursuit of his disruptive glory. Number one, we cannot experience his glory without leaving the tent. And I'll explain it. We cannot experience his glory without leaving the tent. This is from Genesis chapter 18. You see this picture. It is a pretty hot day in somewhere in the Middle East. Abraham is sitting at the tent door. He's resting perhaps. Whatever he was doing, he's taking a break from it. He's sitting and he sees three people, three men on the other side. What he does is as soon as he sees them, he leaves his tent door and he runs to them. And he says, please don't go by without sitting down and without me entertaining you. I want to make sure that you drink something. I want to make sure that you eat something. And I want to feed you and, and provide drink before you move on. It's important for me. Please come and sit down. He recognizes what's happening. And he flees the tent door. And he runs to them. And I'm going to translate that to our lives here in the Old Testament. And I'm saying we cannot experience, experience his glory without leaving the tendencies, the patterns, the familiarity of our flesh. We, like Abraham did, it was a model in that, Abraham, this is your tent. But you know what? As I encounter him, I'm running from what I'm used to, to this place of being, you know, of his beauty. And I'm going to fall right before him and say, please don't go. Please do not leave me. I want you to come and sit down under the shadow of this tree. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to make sure that you have everything you need before you go on. And I cannot and you cannot hear me out very clearly. This is so important for us. We cannot experience God by being dependent or being dictated by our flesh. It cannot happen. It is very important. If as a people we are pursuing this, we will have to leave behind the tendencies of our flesh. I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about the way I'm used to engaging with God, with my flesh. The way I'm used to in my pursuit of God, in my mind. I have to, will have to leave that for me to experience him the way he wants me to experience him. So my patterns, the things that I'm familiar with and the limitations of my flesh, because our flesh is limited, I will have to learn to let go of it if I am to experience his glory the way he wants us to. In Acts 29, this is important for us. It will show in the way we worship. It will show in the way we live our lives every day. And there is no encountering him by being at the tent door. We have to leave the tent. This is crucial. For a, as a people, we will have to let go of the ways that we are used to. Not just in worship. Not just the 30 minutes when we are worshiping him together. In our lives. There are patterns. And my goodness, if God is calling us this way, do we think that he will not expose these things to us so that we can change from it? He will expose it. He will tell us what they are. But are you willing to go to him and say, I'm so done being at the tent door and having my flesh limit you, I'm going to run to you. Goes back to what we heard a couple of weeks ago. I will need to be foolish. And we as a church will need to recognize how to respond to the foolishness of man in pursuit of his glory. It is important for us. When we see foolishness, will we be watchful of the foolishness? Will we sit on the fence and see how foolish someone is? Or will we also join them in their foolishness of the pursuit of God? It is important. It is important, Acts 29. It is important. 
and we haven't gotten there. We have to, as a people, do this. So leave your tent. We cannot, you cannot, we cannot, I cannot experience his glory without doing that. Number two. I can choose to disengage when his glory is near. I can choose to disengage when his glory is near. We'll go back to the same story. I'll explain it. So the three men, they sit down under the shade of the tree and they're having the meal. The meal is done. And it says, the Lord asks, where is Sarah? See, in the previous chapter, Sarah had become Sarah because God gave her a new name. And God asks, where is Sarah? And it says Sarah was hiding behind Abraham. She did not respond. You see what's happening in the story. We sometimes only think about Abraham because that he is the, is the main guy in the story. But you don't see what Sarah has done. After the meal, because she was preparing the, the cake or the bread before. She's done now. They've had the meal. And God asks, where is Sarah? Where is Adam? Where is Sarah? And Sarah is hearing this. She's behind the tent door. She doesn't respond. But what she does is when God proceeds to say, in a year's time, Sarah, I'm going to bless you. He actually talks about Sarah. He doesn't talk about Abraham. He says, Sarah, in a year, I'm going to bless you. You're going to have a child. She laughs. It's not the laughing that we are thinking of today. It's the part that she does not engage. She chooses to disengage. And do not think that this is Middle Eastern culture. It's not. She could have absolutely engaged with the God of the universe right there at that time if she opted to do that. If, he, if she chose to do that, she could have done that. And we sometimes choose to disengage. And we cannot afford to do that. And so if God is again doing this with us as a people, what if I and Iris choose to disengage? What if three or four of us chooses choose to disengage. My goodness, we shouldn't. We shouldn't do it. We shouldn't choose to disengage. Because we cannot say, I didn't know. We cannot, Sarah cannot say that. She was asked, hey, where is Sarah? She could have responded. She did not. So I don't want to spend more time there. But I pray that as a people, we completely engage with God in what he's doing. There is a cry Come out. Will you come out of the place where you're hiding? The place of comfort, the place of shelter, the place of the normal that you're used to, the place of convenience. And the, the question is, could Sarah have come out? And the answer is yes. And I'll, I'll, I'll even say, if Sarah had come out, she would have had an experience and an encounter with God that would then also have dictated the life of Isaac and Jacob more than we know today. We don't think like that, eh? Because Abraham met God multiple times. Sarah, here is a chance for her to encounter God and his glory in a new way. So when, when she chooses not to, she lacks that, that very thing that she can or could have passed on to Isaac and Jacob. So when I don't engage... It's not just I who lose out. The ones who are coming behind me, they will lose out too. So your life is not just about yourself anymore. All of the people who are connected to us in one capacity or the other, all of them will lose out if I choose to disengage. Next.
I'll read it out so you can write it. Your recognition of your need for him, your recognition of your need for him, your lack and brokenness sets you up for an encounter with your all-powerful father. Your recognition of your need for him, your lack and brokenness sets you up for an encounter with your all-powerful father. I want us to go to, you don't have to read it, but this is from Genesis 32. The chapter is titled, Jacob Fears Esau. This guy has lived a life. See, Jacob was already taught about God. And previous to this chapter, he's already had encounters or or he's, he's already met with God. He's seen him in that. Not the same type of seeing in Genesis 32, but he's had encounters with him. He, he knows the God of his fathers. He's familiar with him. Now, Genesis 32 begins with, Jacob feels Ezo. He's at a place in his life where everything he has tried has failed. And he's running. And what happens before this encounter story is this. It's important in that he is working so much with his mind and his controlling thinking that he says, you know what, the people that I have, I'm going to break them out into two camps because if one camp goes away, I still have another. And even better, you know what, after this time, I'm going to have my two wives, my two female servants and my uh, children, I'm going to cross them over to, through, across this brook and then I'm going to stay here. And it says he was left alone. He, is, he must have been so tired because he's running away from Ezo, but trying to meet him at the same time by appeasing him with a gift. He must have been physically exhausted. At the end of everything that he knows, he can manage and control. Doesn't have anything left in the tank. A few verses before that, he cries out, Lord, help me. And just the beautiful thing about that passage is it doesn't tell much about how it happened. It's almost like it it just says, verse 3, or around there it says, And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. There's nothing in between. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Guys, there is something beautiful about us getting to a place of such brokenness and need which will cause our Father in heaven to show up because he's all-powerful. The more we think we can do it, and the more we hold on to ourselves, the more we say, I got it, and I can try to make it and manage it, we are farther farther away from what he can do. There is something about us getting to a place with our lives where we say, I am so needy, so broken, that I desperately need you. So I serve and we serve a father who is compassionate and merciful and loving and kind. He will fight for us. He will fight for you. And bring breakthrough in your circumstances when you're at the end of yourself. It is a good, great place to be when I find myself at the end of everything that I have. I remember this time um, years ago when uh, probably the first few years or first couple of years that uh, I started coming to Axe, I remember one time Jacob pulled me aside, don't remember when or where. He told me, man, one of the things that is such a stronghold in your life is a fear of man. I remember him saying that and I was like, fear of man. Then I realized that it's so easy not to understand it because I'm used to my own ways. Then he said, you have that and you can't go ahead in life with what God has for you until this is, until this is not a, an issue anymore, until God sets you free. And then once he said it, I began to see it. <laughs> once he said it, I was, oh, that and this and that. I, I, I can now see it. I remember it was 
few years where I would go to God and I would tell him, hey, I need out of this. I need out of this. And it, it, th- there are things, the reason I'm sharing this story is because there are sometimes things in our lives that, we, that it only comes up every now and then. It's not a daily thing. And when it's not a daily thing, it's easy for us to overlook it and say, think, it's not a, not a big deal. But my father, our father is so interested in our lives every day that he doesn't want anything that's not of him in our lives at all. So I remember going to, to the father and say, saying, I need help with this. I need, and then something will happen, an experience, a, a particular situation will happen. And then I'm also aware of this. My goodness, man, this is such a thing in my life. I, don't, I want out of, it, out of this thing. And I'll, I'll run to him and I'll say, I, I want out of this. Went on for some time and I, th- I thought I was making progress. And then there was this day when something happened. And my immediate reaction when this thing happened is, I have such a brokenness kind of feeling inside me. It's like, I need out of this so bad that I'm running out of this place and I ran out of where I was. I went to my uh, room and I found myself on my bed and I started talking to him. And I started crying. And as I'm crying and I'm talking to him, suddenly, man, I cannot explain it. I felt like I I was let loose of change. So it was almost this feeling of... I could feel the chains fall off. I've not been the same since that day. I can tell you that. There is something about our father. When you run to him and, I say, and you say, I need help with this. And I will not let you go unless you bless me. He will show up. Guys, the best, the best news today is that he is the God he is. He is the father he is, and he is able. That is the place where we operate from. And because he is loving and all-powerful, there is no such thing that can stand between him and you. These verses in the scripture must come alive for all of us. And he desperately wants now me to move from that to another to another to another. Because I'm continually being transformed in the image of his son. But I can settle. I can say, you know, that was a good, good one. Thank you very much. And sit there. And I pray we, we, we take to him things we need out of. And he's able. That's the good news. It's a very good news. That it's not based on or dependent on you. It is dependent on him. Now the question is, will we do something about it? Because I, I should, you should be asking him and telling him, there is no way, God, there is no way, Father, I'm going to leave you without you changing this in my life. There is no way I'm going to let you go. You see, you can come into meetings or when you're by yourself having this attitude. There is no way I'm going to leave this place until and unless you do this. It is rightfully our inheritance to be like that. We do not take it and run with it sometimes. I'm telling you, man, we shouldn't, we shouldn't divide life into this prayer meeting here, this prayer meeting there, and then my time at the office, and then my time with my wife or whatever. We should never divide. We should be so expectant for him to do things wherever we are. There's this, there's this line. No one is excluded unless they exclude themselves or themselves. If I exclude myself from this or not, it's dependent on what I want to do. And his desire for all of us is that we do not exclude ourselves. Okay, let's move on to the next one. A couple more. I think this is four. The words of your mouth Make way for the arrival of your king. 
I just want to speak want to speak on this from another passage. But I I think this explains it pretty well. The words of your mouth make way for the arrival of your king. And it's not that we don't know it or understand it. We have to practice it as a people and individually. Because the words of our, of our mouth are very important. It's it's super important. And there is no one here who cannot speak. He doesn't look at how proficient my language is or how big the words are that I use. He is so interested in your words though. And the words of my mouth are an overflow of words in my heart. It's Luke 6:45 Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks Psalm 139:4 Even before a word is on my tongue behold O Lord you know it all together <laughs> Everything that I speak comes from my heart and I when we manufacture words he knows it well and I have manufactured words before I'm pretty sure you guys have too but getting to this place where our words flow out of our heart and we don't even need to try because the barrier between the heart and the mouth is broken it's broken again as a people i'm sorry i keep saying as a people as if i'm not sorry as a people i keep saying this it's important for us this will take us to another place together as a church it will and there is no one sitting here who is exempt from this the words of your mouth make a way for the arrival of your king the, ch- the, the passage is daniel chapter 10 in daniel chapter 10 you see daniel standing standing on the bank of the river tigris and while he is standing there he sees a vision during the day the guys with him they don't see what he is seeing but they all sense that there is something happening so they are frightened and they run away they hide themselves but daniel is still there and as soon as he sees this bible keeps on talking about the experience these men and women had when they met god physically they couldn't handle it so he falls to the ground as well and then i want to hear this word okay because the other parts we can skip for today but essentially he sees jesus What is written in Revelation Daniel sees in Daniel chapter 10. And here is what I want us to listen to. Verse 12. Then he said to me, "Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before the Lord, your words have been heard and I have come because of your words from the first day daniel you set your heart on him and then you humbled himself but i have come here today because of your words this is something we can run with this is something we must experience this is something we must create stories for for our for the generations to come they must know the importance of words we must show the next generation the importance of words words adoring him words welcoming him words shouting out loud who he is and it can only happen out of the abundance of my heart and so when i am with him and when i am beholding him when i spend my days and nights with him i don't need to be readied for something because this is who i am as a person and my heart is full of him so my mouth overflows with words that adore him this way today if you ask subin sorry guys i can't run away from my soccer examples my wife hates it but it's okay <laughs> today if you ask subin is he happy my goodness man he'll be so happy because he is five points or something top of the table in the english premier league he came today the first thing he did was look at savior 
he's full of it he's very happy look at him i haven't seen him this happy it's short lived though but that's okay again the words of your mouth make way for the arrival of your king uh, yeah we'll move on to the next one you cannot engage with his glory unless you turn away from your sins it's a pretty harsh statement yeah you cannot engage with his glory unless you're willing to turn away from your sin but it's very true one of the things that this revival that we're talking about jacob said this a few times over he said this revival is about god purifying us that this is about a people who are being devoted to him and we have to hear his cry for us he really wants a beautiful bride and i'm sure we'll go down this path more and more together pretty certain about it but can we can we say this this is what happened to isaiah we know the story but the the beautiful thing about that passage is when isaiah in isaiah chapter 6 says what to me i'm unclean i'm a man of unclean lips and live with the people of unclean lips god addresses exactly that by bringing the call and it touches us lips the exact the exact same thing that you need help with he will address that exact thing because it's his desire for you he doesn't come and have the call touch his forehead i'm a man of unclean lips we are a people of unclean lips hey you've recognized it you want to turn away from it here you go my fire over you is a purifying fire this wind that i'm blowing is a purifying wind and therefore that which you need help with i'll set you free from happened to moses in exodus chapter 3 the guy has been wandering for 40 years what a change in life right in the in the in the uh, palace to what he was doing for about 40 years kind of saying i'm doing the worst job ever <sighs> no one has a job but me he does that and what's interesting is this in that passage you see him it says he moved from moved from the west side of the wilderness to the mount horeb Now this mount horeb is the mountain of god but he did not know it we call it the mountain of god he did not know it he later received commandments on this mountain but he did not know it so there is something about although in this case he didn't know there is something about us approaching him because one of the things that while worship was happening it's amazing how we can as a people be so close to the temple be so close to what's happening but not enter the holy of holies i find that very true about me i'm always close to the temple i'm always close to the activity i occasionally visit the holy of holies but i don't live out of there so if what we sang is true the veil is broken and the doors have flung wide then we must live from that place where he purifies me i am these words are not words just for the sake of saying it but i must be in awe and wonder 
of the beauty and the holiness of the God I serve. And therefore, he will show to me what I need to let go of, and I can let go of it. Moving from glory to glory in him. This is my inheritance. So Derek, do you desire now to stop your going around the temple and being in the temple and occasionally visiting the Holy of Holies too, living out of this place. Living out of this place where we behold His beauty, we know His worth, we know how much He loves us, and so we can't hold on to these things that have clung on so long. We will let go of them. And it's my decision and your decision. But we can. And God says, Moses, Moses, he calls out his name and says, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. For the place on which you're standing is holy ground. It's this idea of all of the accumulated dirt. All of the stuff you've carried with you. Take it off. I know what I need to change in. You guys know what you need to change in. What you, what you need his desperate help with. And let's go down this path. This part, I, I can tell you guys, I know for certain that with what we've been talking about, this is such heaven's desire for us. To purify us. To change us. It is his desire for us. And I am not even attempting to use big words because I really want him to do this with me and you. I pray that this is your heart's cry. That he'll say, I want to be your bride. The bridegroom loves his bride. I want to be your bride, blemishless, spotless. I will not entertain these things in me. It's a hard no. And please, please, this is not just sins and all of the stuff that we know we need, we need help with. Because we have, anyone here I believe may have, there are habitual sins, patterns, thinking, they're all sins. But it's also, see, James took it to another level. No, not James. James does take, take things to another level, but not this James. James chapter 4, 17, it says, when you know of something that is right and you must do it, you ought to do it, and you don't do it, it is a sin. So we, we, are, we are going to this place of being like our Savior. We are being fashioned from one place, taken from there to another place in Him. And so while there are other things we need help with, we are not stopping there. We need more and more. Can we be like that? That, right, that thing which is right, and I ought to do it. But when I don't do it, it is a sin. And then there is mindsets. My goodness, mindsets? So now we are not just talking about lust of the eyes. We are not talking about murder and adultery. While those things are wrong, Jesus' bar is much higher. And that's the bar we are after. A true encounter with the beauty of God will mark you and set you apart for a life of holiness. A true encounter with the beauty of God will mark you and set you apart for a life of holiness. The other thing I want to say from that story is, we'll wrap up in 10 minutes. See, God could have used anything really to speak with Moses. But he chooses an ordinary bush to speak from. There was a contradiction in that. While there were other bushes that were burning. Because it does burn like that in the Middle East. While there were other bushes that were burning. This bush was not consumed by the fire. And that was the only contradiction. But there is this thing of he can use the ordinary to change me. 
Guys, please listen to this. He can use the ordinary to change me. He can use the ordinary to change me. He can use an ordinary day to change me. He can bring about a life-altering moment in my life in the ordinary. He can bring about a life-altering moment in my life through the ordinary. And it is important. Let's go to the next one. Encounter with his glory causes you to depend on his bride. Encounter with his glory causes you to depend on his bride. Encounter with his glory causes you to depend on his bride. If your encounter with God makes you independent, be very watchful. If your encounter with God makes you independent, be very watchful. Here is what happens. Saul is on his way to Damascus. And he's encountered by God. But while God can give the entire mission to Saul, right there, just like that, he chooses to withhold it from him. And what he says is, you need to go to this place and there you will be told what to do. Because Paul, 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 I have spent time with the disciples. They know that they have to go two by two. They know that they have to be dependent. But Paul, you don't know that. And because you don't know that, I'm going to teach you. Right from here, you need to go to this man. And this man will lay his hands on you. And then the scales will fall off. Because I can very well cause the, the scales to fall off right now. But I won't have that. Because you need to be dependent on a people. You need to be dependent on a people. Because there is a Titus coming. There is a Timothy coming. There is a Barnabas coming. You won't have any of them anywhere close to you unless I teach you this. So if your encounter with God makes you independent, be watchful. Because your encounter with him must make you dependent on the body. Must make you dependent on the bride. So Paul got it right from the start. Because he knew very well what happened. Oh wow, I need to go to this man and this man will tell me what to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I'm going to set you up. That's what I'm going to train you in. So, here's the thing. Father, as a people, we want to go down this way, this path. Guys, one thing that I think is important is we must not allow self-pity and doubt to stop us. Somehow that's important. Must not allow self-pity and doubt come in the way. Self-pity is, oh, but I'm not like that. Oh, but this happened to me. Oh, but I don't have this. Must not allow self-pity and doubt to stop us. Father, we come to you and we say we are all in. Are we all in church? Yes. Yeah. Father, hear this. We are all in. We don't know what we are touching, <laughs> but we know it's, it's you. We know what we are touching, but we don't know what to expect really. But we are in it. Not in it for this minute, not in it for just this week, not in it for just one encounter, but this body you're training up to have encounters after encounters because we will never be satisfied with you. We will always be desperate for you. So we're not talking about one life-altering moment that just changes everything. Yes, while it changes everything, we want to be a people who will hunger and thirst for more. So hear this cry, Father. Father, you're also reminding us that we have to now steward it. These things must be stewarded on our own and collectively. So I pray that everyone here and those watching, we will steward this well. And we'll run after you. 
so that let others Zechariah 12 talks about let others say that all of them were a certain type all of them were a certain type that's what we want to be about because we want to leave a legacy we want to leave a legacy for those behind us in Jesus name amen